We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. It is nice to be back. Like we told you last week, we're going to let it breathe a little bit. It was a crazy busy weekend. We did a lot of shows in a little bit of space the last two weeks. So we let everything breathe. We tried to see what happened in combat sports. And lo and behold, we are back. Plenty to talk about today we're actually combining everything into one show so we'll go between the jake paul boxing match in cleveland which was a spectacle and the old man was in the building for that so we'll talk about that we'll talk about the ufc with a couple of good fights last weekend and one coming up this weekend as well and we'll preview aw all out to end the show before we get out of here we have to talk about cm punk can't can't miss that right it's a big big weekend over there in chicago speaking of chicago though we are starting the show with none other than mr west dre donda finally dropped this was one of those i gotta see it to believe it moments for you now you've seen it how do you feel this shit is too damn long i mean god damn that album feels it's it's uh it's a lot to listen to like it's way too long it's just it's as long as a double album like the life after death album just not as good and there's a lot of guests is it bad no i wouldn't say it's bad but i also would say it's not good because it's just too much on there it's like one of those movies that has like a great action scene and then it takes like way too long to get to that particular action scene I feel like that's Donda and yeah, I'm not going to, I can't listen to the whole thing. That album is made for Spotify, Apple music. So you can make your own playlist out of things. You know, a lot of people like jail, um, which I think is fine. Um, off the grid, Fivio Forens versus it's pretty dope. Yeah. None of Kanye verses are dope, by the way, None of them. <laughs> not a single Kanye verse. I was like, yo, this is an incredibly Dope verse from Kanye West. Nah. Not off the grid. He he was spitting the second when he had the last verse, he came back and he was spitting. 
if you say so. My favorite song on the album is Believe What I Say, which is a very much more of a house song than it is a rap song. Um, it has the uh, Lauryn Hill sample uh, oh, yeah. from Doo Wop. I th- that's that's my favorite song on the album, and I actually like that song a lot. And it's not it's not your it's not like anything else on the album. That album is also very schizophrenic. Like you'll get like a off the grid with Fivio Foreign, and then you'll get like the Super Jesus song, and then you'll get some very sparse production, and then you'll get some, like some choir singing. Like there's two there's two or three different albums in Donda, and he just was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna put them all together." I. It's an all over the place album. I don't like it, but it's not the worst thing I ever heard. Right? Um, I didn't like Jesus. A lot of people did. I didn't like the life of Pablo. A lot of people did. I didn't like Yay. I don't think anybody really liked Yay. No, 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 no. This isn't his worst album. To me, it's not his best either. Those days of Kanye are long gone. And um, as you guys can see, I'm actually separating the art from the artist at the moment. As much as I dislike Kanye, the human being, I'm trying to just talk about the music. And I feel like a lot of the production was undercooked. Like it was very redundant. There wasn't a lot of uh, tempo changes. There wasn't a lot of bridges. It was a lot of like dark and dense ass bass lines. And even like the intro, like wasting Selena Johnson to say Donda like 700 times. Um, You've seen the story behind that, right? Where people are saying like, it's, in the same pattern as his mom's final heartbeat. And he says Donda 48 times because, or 58 times, because that was her age when she passed. So it goes in the pattern of the heartbeat that he has from before she passed, I guess. Oh, well, all right. Um, okay. That, there was like a whole method to the madness, I believe. Is that, is that true or is that one of these damn this, Twitter this, rumors where people fam. have just been making stuff? <laughs> I can't call it, but it's been in multiple places that he says Donda 58 times. I'm not counting it. And that it's in the rhythm of his mother's heartbeat before she passed. And that's why it slows down at the end because uh, her heartbeat I mean, slows. Look, if that's the case, because I've seen so many theories about this album and why, who is on this song and the the length of the album and the reason it was released on this particular day. And it's like, man, y'all come up with the craziest conspiracy theories. Yeah, I don't but know if this about one is, that. <laughs> if this one is true in the sake of art for his mother, all right, fine. I, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just too goddamn long. Like, I, I listened to it. Like, I played two games of MLB The Show. And if anybody plays MLB The Show... That's a long fucking time to play two games all the way through and still have time left. This, this is a long album. It is a chore to listen to, to get through all of this album. It's like, you got to take a break. I was like, man, I got to take a nap. Maybe come back to this, but nope, I got through it. One listen the first time, never again, won't happen again. Um, But yeah, it's, it's whatever. It's fine. It's not good. It's not, it's not bad. It's not good. It's I'll never listen to it again. How about that? Yeah, you're more generous than I am towards the album. Um, I didn't enjoy it at all. I can see what Kanye West is now, and that would be my next question to you. But in my opinion, this was a gospel album again where he decided that he needed to lean on hip-hop roots to really get over So he called in a bunch of favors and put oddly placed verses and features on gospel tracks just to say he has the people on. You know what? I'll take a step further. 
It is the DJ Khaled version of a gospel album. That's exactly what. It, but at least some people's features on those make sense. Well, like you know, okay. it's like West Side Gun and Griselda on a straight gospel track. Yeah, and I'm just like, what? Uh, it, the it's, locks it's, buried on a gospel track. It is not. He had three verses before the locks kicked in. It, it's a very um. All right. The reason why it's not a horrible album is because like Jay Electronic had a very dope verse. Oh, he bodied that shit. Like Fivio Foreign had a dope verse. The Locks obviously had a dope verse. A lot of the guests that showed up had dope verse. Even West Gun had a dope verse. Yeah. Kanye Lil, was just. Lil Baby probably had the verse of the whole album. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people say Fivio Foreign did. I, I, that's all I've been hearing. Even though I thought Fivio Foreign's verse was, it was good. I was just like, it was better than I expected. And I think people have gone over the top with that. But uh, that's the yeah, best beat on the album. The drill beat. I was like, oh, Kanye can do drill. All right. There's a lot of things Kanye can do, whether he wants to do them or his brain allows him to do them are two different things. And so, again, I don't think the album is horrible. Like I've heard worse albums in general, but for if, like there's a decent album. If you strip all the bullshit out of this album, there's a decent 10 song album here. But that's Kanye. It's, it's a lot of bloat. It's a lot of long winding bass lines that go really nowhere before a verse starts it's 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 a chore it's like watching an unnecessarily long three-hour movie that you're like yo you could have done this in 82 minutes why is it this damn long so it's not the worst thing i ever heard i just after i listened to it i was like yeah i'm not listening to this shit again i was done yeah it's just one of it's not the best thing i've ever heard no absolutely not and it was painstakingly long, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's painstaking. Now, as far as Kanye is concerned, still fuck Kanye. Because this dude tried to put the baby on the album. <laughs> yeah. And then that shit didn't work out. And he had Marilyn Manson as listening. Like, he's still grifting, y'all. Like, he grifted the shit out of y'all with these listening sessions. And then gave you this long fucking artist al- album to listen to. Like, fuck him as a person. But as an artist, he's, he's never, he's, he still has dopeness in him. It's just good luck finding it. Yeah, it's you got to wade through a lot of bullshit, and I don't know how much that affects the creative process. A lot, right? like it, it, <laughs> see, it, it would seem as though like it it can easily blind you if you're doing a lot of the theatrics, and a lot of people saying that's part of the creative process. It's more than an album. The rollout, uh, everything was genius. Whatever. It was art. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I can go without all that shit. The man went out there in the mask, the fucking combat boots, doesn't show his face anymore. Everything else is white. Like this performance art, Kanye, I'm not here. It's not for me. Ah, that's an excuse. Look, man, there are there's a thing where you can overthink and overproduce your own projects, right? And by overproduction, that usually means you add too many elements to your production. Right. Like you make it too. like a lot of people thought late registration was overproduced. It was very like I think John Bryan um, did a lot of the mixing for that album. And it was very crisp. It lacked the grittiness of a hip hop album. It was very everything was crisp on the album. Some people thought it was overproduced. This felt very undercooked where I feel like Kanye thinks that he's so dope that he can just give you this baseline for about 90 seconds and y'all be like, that's the dopest baseline I ever heard. When it's not, right? Like as a producer, after a while, you, st- you tend to lean on the same tropes of production, right? And some producers try to outthink themselves. The RZA has done this before. And when the RZA kind of stepped away from what he was good at and tried some other shit, it was like, what are you doing? 
Kanye has been doing this lately where no longer is the, the soul samples are no longer there, which you, even though in um, the joint that I talked about is the, the house song, like the sample is dope, but he doesn't do that anymore. Like, and then if you look at the credits, there's like 37 people producing on this album. Yeah, so, that's great. Everybody was in and out of Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yeah, it, it, it just felt like there was too much going on to give us so little. Right. You get all these cooks in the kitchen and you just made me a fucking pancake. I was expecting a full course meal with all these people on the album. I got a pancake. I didn't need the locks on a pancake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you gave us all like you tried to tell us about like I need like this is what I'm talking about, like overthinking it. I need to rent out the Mercedes Benz Stadium to make this album. No, you didn't. I've seen more creative things made. I'm sure the Alchemist does his shit in his basement. DJ Premier does his shit wherever he's at. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like tour buses, whatever. You don't need all that shit. Yeah, he didn't need all this extravagant shit to make a pancake. This album is a pancake, and not even like a really good pancake. <laughs> it's like an IHOP pancake, which they're pretty good. I was about to say, my wife would argue that those are the best pancakes. But they're not the best pancakes. No, I, I'm a Hash House of Go-Go guy. Hash House is banging. Yeah. There's a lot of banging-ass pancakes out there, but you didn't need to do all... Like, if you went to IHOP today and they had, like, a gold kitchen and they had, like, a cook that had diamonds in this grill, and then you looked and you saw, like, this whole thing was laid out and, like, super decked out, you would expect a better pancake. Yeah, but I'd be like, why you, am I in a Waffle House? Right, <laughs> and if they still give you the same damn pancake, you're like... Yeah, you did all this for that? That's what I feel like Don did. You gave us, you did all this in the in your mother's name, and you gave me the most basic-ass pancake. No thanks, Kanye. Yeah, I'm not revisiting um, Donda anytime soon. Maybe two or three songs. Like you said, two or three songs, four songs. It'll probably be in rotation, <clears throat> which is more than I can say about the previous album. So improvement? <laughs> sure. But I'm not fucking with Kanye. Like, like it's it's nothing astronomical. Like some people say. I think Joe Budden called it like a work of art masterpiece. Nine point five. Take it out, Joe. Some shit. Yeah, like he got caught up in the mystique of it. Sometimes you get lost in the sauce. Yeah, it ain't that good. No, but this week we might get an album of the year contender because Drake is finally dropping. Certified Lover Boy. Uh, it'll drop by the time everyone hears this. So. We've heard a little bit of it ourselves, just a little bit. Um, are you expecting, I don't want to say classic because it's hard to expect a classic, but are you expecting peak level Drake considering how long he took to make this out? That's a good question. Um, I expected Drake to give us that with Scorpion and he did not. Right. Um, like that, there was a that fell hard. Yeah. And it wasn't a bad album, but it was what I expected because I felt like Drake was in a position where everybody else was trying to make this immaculate music. And I kept saying, like, Drake hasn't made that completely undeniable album. He's made some really, really great albums. And I felt like Scorpion would be his moment. And it wasn't. It was a lot of bloat in that album. This album, on the other hand, Certified Lover Boy, the name alone and the album artwork alone makes me feel like he's trolling us into a really good album. Right. Like, I feel like he's. He's with these guests with, I don't know how long this goddamn album is about to be, um, <laughs> but with everything that he has, I don't expect a classic. I expect 
I expect growth. I keep going back to the lemon uh, pepper chicken freestyle and how much growth he showed talking about being a father. I expect him to do more as a rapper than just rap about himself. Right. I, I expect at this point of his career, he has to give me more. That being said, the Drake that has existed for a little over a decade is still better than a lot of people out there. Like if he gives me the usual Drake shit, it'll probably still be really good. But I want more out of it. And I hope that Certified Lover Boy gives us more. If it doesn't, I'm not going to say I'm disappointed, but I kind of am. Because I still feel like there's that album in Drake. And there's this like there's this straight rap album from Drake that I've been waiting for. And I don't think we'll ever get it because that's not who he is. But this could Tyler gave us one. And when it looked like Tyler was overboard the opposite direction. Yeah, but Tyler's different. Like Tyler's wired different. It's to me, it's still gonna be very, very hard to beat Tyler for album of the year. It's I'm still playing that shit. That shit came out in June. It is September. I'm still playing Tyler's album. It's Tyler, then it's like Nas, Cole, Isaiah Rashad are the other three albums in the running for me. And I like and, this Nas album a lot. I like it better than the last album. And it was the last album, we talked about our albums of the year. I had it like fifth that right. year, but it won the Grammy, cool, whatever. Um, you know, I thought Freddie Gibbs had a better album. I thought, you know, Benny had a better album. There was some albums I felt were better. But Nas got it cool. I thought this one was better than the first. And it's still not as dope as Tyler's is. No. No, I, no, it's it's literally to me, it's literally Tyler and everybody else. Like there's nothing. Every time I go back, I love Isaiah Rashad's album. And I put that above Nas's album in terms of enjoyment. I really like Isaiah Rashad's album every time I listen to it. And Cole is just kind of in that pocket as well. Like him, those three albums can kind of lump together. But Tyler, it's untouchable right now. Donda was obviously not touching that shit at all. Drake's gonna have to give me something special to knock Tyler out because Tyler's artistry on that album from the DJ drama shit to uh, everything for like Corso is now my favorite song on the album. It changes. It's like Lumberjack, Juggernaut, Corso's my shit. And then there's Massa. There's so much that Tyler made in that album. Drake is going to have to show me something. And plus Tyler did it with not an abundance of guests. He had a lot of guests. Lil Uzi Vert gave him a verse on that album. It's like he had a lot of guests, but I don't know. Can can Drake do it? I hope so. I hope so. I, I need that album from Drake. I'm looking forward to it, and I feel like the rollout has been pretty incredible. I feel like everything he's done is Trump Kanye. I don't give a fuck what y'all say. The billboards, <laughs> the, the 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 Sports Center fucking announcement. Yeah, that's how you roll an album out. Uh, this Kanye shit, the fuck out of here. Drake has had a better rollout. Period, in my opinion. No, I agree. Kanye's was. Costly pump faking fans, giving them the wrong date for the album release, giving them these huge theatrics and charging $50 for a chicken nugget. Like it was, it was a bunch of a shit that led to, like we said before, a mediocre album. Drake hit the gas late, but hit it in a fashion where we were like, fuck, yo, I'm ready for this. So now everything was building. The rollout of the, the features in everyone's hometown yeah, that's hard. Incredible. Incredible. So um, smart, smart marketing all the way around. Spent a little dough on it. He's, he's definitely promoting this like it's going to be classic style Drake. And we disagree. I think Drake has two classics. But to me, I think, I really do. I, I think that 
the rollout, the feel of it, the amount of time he took, the, what, five tracks, six tracks he dropped in the meantime, everything is mixing together where I'm like, yeah, I think he got one. He might. He he definitely might. I don't know. Um, I, I looked at the rundown. I'm going to jump ahead of you real quick. The thing I listened to the most last week was Baby Keem and Kendrick on Family Ties. Oh, yeah, that. My God, that's Listen, how you come back. You loved it. Someone hit me because they saw you talking about it on Twitter. It's, I forgot who it was. I wish I could remember. And they were like, yo, it's not that good. But Dre's like loving this. I was like, yo, you got to sit down with this. I don't even know who it was. I was like, nah, um, play that again. Because a lot of shit will go over your head if you don't listen. Bruh. Look, look, here's my thing. Could we have done without Baby King's verse? Probably. I kind of like Baby King's verse. But then the more, the more I listened to it, I was like, this isn't bad. No, like, it's not. Not at all. But the first, okay, I'll go through my stages of listening to it. The first time I listened to it, I was like, all right, this is dope, right? And then I went away. I was in Cleveland. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I went away. I did some shit, and I came back to it. And I was like, let me listen to this again. And then I, the third time I listened to Kendrick's verse, I was like, wait a second. There, first, there's four different flows in this, this verse. He, and then... The shit he said, I was just like, yo, this is this is a really dope verse to come back. Like, to be gone for so long, to come back with this kind of verse? And then I watched the video, and I was like, wow, okay. He's putting everybody on notice. Is it the verse of the year? I don't know. It's way too early for that. Um, I really have to dig in, because Tyler had some bars this year. Cole had some bars this year. I don't know if it's verse of the year. But, yeah, I think it's that dope. I think that there's... There's not too many MCs that are touching Kendrick in terms of like when he when he comes to show up and tells you that he's smoking on your top fives, like he's very aggressive <laughs> without necessarily calling people out. Like he's kind of planting his flag and saying, all right, I'm here, bitches. What's up? I've been gone for a while. Overnight activist, pandemic, like all that shit. He's like, I'm back. Yo, he, he called people that went platinum last year like fucking visitors. <laughs> like it's it's a dope verse. I don't know what this means for the album, but that's what I listened to the most last week. And it was like momentum building. The first couple of times, I was like this is cool, and then I was like, okay, this is actually pretty dope. And uh, I'm I'm curious it, where this goes from here. It's like control, right? It's it's super spicy. Like oh my god, he's really coming on his rapidy rap shit. Not yeah. just like okay, because you know Kendrick has different moods, and that's why I like features. Kendrick doing features a lot. Because he doesn't have to stay within the theme of an album. Even though I like when he does that, of course. I like all his albums. But it's nice to see him break that mold and just get on his, I'm a really good rapper type shit. And let me show you that I'm an MC. And this was like that vibe. So I, I like that he was talking spicy. I like all the lines he had there, all the like metaphors. I mean, my one thing that I'm not the biggest fan, I've never been of, of Kendrick, is the voice changing. In the modulation inverse, but I mean, it's grown on me. I got used to it. I like Section Eighty a lot, so what can I say, right? Like he, that was heavy. Yeah, Kendrick voice changing modulation shit, and I thought that went by the wayside. It seemed to be back in this verse. I mean, I I really loved how <laughs> I never heard somebody rap the word brother like he did. And I thought that was kind of funny to me because I was like, wow, he's rapping the word on occasion, brother. Like the way he delivers his bars is dope. Just hit it with Hogan. Yeah. Hit him with the Hogan. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it seems like that album's going to drop sometime this year. I will say it again. Y'all know I love Kendrick and you know I love Drake. Y'all got some catching up to do to catch Tyler. 
I've just I'm a, I'm obsessed with the Tyler album. Great album. Oddly enough, you mentioned verse of the year so far, and mine is like a feature, and it might not hold up. I have to listen to everything again because there's some really dope verses. Um, but man, Lauren Hill body in the Nas track. Yeah, she maybe because I didn't expect it, but she had bars. Yes, like she's been saving that shit for three years. She I like, yo, I was like, yo, this Lauren verse, that, that's up there for my verse of the year. It's in the conversation. She yeah, she ate on that. Like she feasted on that. Yeah, she's she has this, some this, shit this, on her chest to get on. Like, whew, she yeah, she, she came out hot out the corner. There's one other artist that I'm looking for before we move on before the end of the year is, is JID of Dreamville. He's one of my favorite rappers who I'm just waiting for his breakout moment. I like DiCaprio too. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of the shit he does. Like he's just really dope. And I'm waiting. Cause I feel like his album's going to come out and catch a lot of people off guard, but this could end up being one of the best years in hip hop that we've seen in a long time. If everybody drops as we expect them to, because I think it started off slow. But when Cole came out and then it was like Tyler and it's like Nas, like the role and got Kanye and Drake seems like Kendrick. It feels like we're about to have one of those banner years in hip hop. But those, the, but Drake has to be dope. If Drake is not dope, then I, we can kind of throw it away. Drake has to have a dope album. Yeah, I expect, have a dope I expect him to meet and exceed expectations. It's just, is it a classic? Because again, to many people, I, I think he has classic albums, but I agree with you when he says, when you say, does he have that project? People have classic albums. Eminem has classic albums, but there's a different level to the Marshall Mathers LP. Jay has classic albums. There's something very different about the blueprint. Yeah, you know my thing. I just want all, my only thing that truly to me keeps Drake from having a suit, a classic, undeniably classic album is talking about more shit. That's it. That is, and it's, it's, when I say that's it, it's a lot to it, actually. But if Drake had more shit to say that separate, because let's be honest, you can take things from Take Care and things from, uh, if you listen, this is too late, and you can kind of interchange them, still kind of like the same album, because he's still rapping about the same shit that he was rapping about 10 years ago. He's just really good at that. Right. It's still the same post move. Right. Like Shaq had one move and you just couldn't stop it. He just dunked on you. <laughs> right. Like, like that was it. That, and, and it never really got old because he was really good at that because he was a giant. But then you had people like Akeem Olajuwon and the Dream Shake and they learn how to finesse things a little bit more. And they learn how to play the game different. You look at LeBron plays the game different than he was. Drake is still playing the same game because he can for the last 10 years. If he gives us another dimension of Drake, we probably have a classic album. Lemon Pepper Freestyle gave us a little bit of uh, another dimension of Drake, the father. Give me more, Drake. That's all I'm asking. Give me more. And Certified Lover Boy, I don't know if that title yields more Drake. It probably yields more single Drake. I don't know. Well, I guess yeah. we'll find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm excited to see what it sounds like by the time everyone listens to this. We'll all have heard it. So I can't wait to talk about it on our show next week. Don't go anywhere. We're going to hit the break. We got to come back and actually talk combat sports. We got to get into the Jake Paul fight where there's a ton to talk about. Not only your fight, but the weekend. 
the old man Andreas Hale was in Cleveland. We got to see how he how he was. It was like his first time traveling. There's a lot of shit that goes into this. Saw some independent wrestling. So we got to hear about the entire experience around that fight. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. Time to talk boxing. I had to do a little work in between this segment. Came down that despite failing a test for a banned substance, Oscar Valdez will be allowed to fight on September 10th. Failed both his A and B sample. They're like, fuck it. Let him rock. Let the man fight. So interesting. I had to do a little work here in between segments because of that. Boxing is a unique space, Dre. That's ridiculous. Like that... That's horrible. If I'm his opponent, I'm like, no. Yeah, at this point, I wonder if the opponent could just be like, nah, I'm not fighting. Like, yo, he failed. He failed. Like, what are we doing here? His A and B sample? Oh, come on, man. Like, you guys listen to this as we're getting the news. And it's like, my immediate reaction is, that's bullshit. You failed a drug test. Like, the, the fact is, you failed a drug test. That should be enough for you not to fight. There shouldn't be no wiggle room here. No, like, why then have drug testing? Exactly. If you could just fail one and be like, you know, uh, what was the excuse that that Valdez's team had said? T. Ah, T. It was a a T that was spiked. And while that may be true, and I'm not calling Valdez a (laughs) cheat. Many uh, people who are versed within PED say no way that is contained inside of an herbal tea. But, you know, let's just say that he accidentally ingested something. It happens, right? Not, it, it can happen. We, especially in the UFC, it used to happen all the time. It's like, oh, I took this protein shake. Well, you can't take that. But it is on you as the fighter to be responsible for what is going into your body. And if you don't know what's going into your body, that's on you, right? And Valdez, if he didn't outright cheat, the fact is he failed a drug test. Yep. That's on you and your team. It, they, you know, it's like Canelo. They fed you a bad burrito. Whatever the case may be, that is your fault. You failed the drug test, and you have to answer for it. Valdez should not be able to fight. That's it. That's crazy. Anyway, yes. Listen, Boxing. alas, here we are. <laughs> so. Yeah. The other thing, I mean, boxing's all over the place. That's a world champion at 130 pounds who's worked his way up through the system and failed the test. He still gets the fight. And then last weekend, we see good old Jake Paul. And unlike Triller, Showtime gets pretty close to accurate numbers for pay-per-view sales. This is going to be interesting. Because one thing I know before we'll start from the beginning is that Jake Paul packed a stadium in Cleveland. Bruh, did he? Packed. And the crowd wasn't the usual. I was going to ask you, yo, is there, I was going to put a rundown. Was there urban loitering? I know there wasn't urban loitering because every three videos I saw of someone fighting, it was teenagers or 
early 20s, people slapping each other around. I was like, this is the YouTube era, and they came out in full force. Yeah. Um, I, where do you want to start with this? Because yeah, I spent my week in Cleveland. It was my first time being on a plane, first time being in a different city. Yeah, I went to an independent wrestling show. Yeah, I interviewed Jake Paul. Yeah, we, we could talk about everything that built up to the fight, including the fight itself. Where do you want to start? I said we have to start when we get there and the most logical place, because we can't go in depth on everything, is the scenario, the scene between Woodley and Paul's camp and Mama Woodley, which Whoa. a lot of people forget, but that, that was big moment of fight week. Okay. Yeah, we'll start there. Because that's, I get off the plane. Look, I got <laughs> on the plane Wednesday night and it took a red eye. I landed in Cleveland Thursday, about three hours before the press conference. I dropped my bags, went straight to the press conference. Now, for those of you who have seen the press conference, obviously you know what happened. Ty Willie and Jake Paul talked about shit. Somewhere, for some reason, I am standing here listening to this. I asked a couple of questions about respect. And it seems like whenever I ask fighters about respect, shit goes left. I asked Jake Paul about respecting Tyra Woodley. He says he doesn't respect anything he did. Tyron started, he talked about it all week. He was like, you don't respect me anymore, blah, blah, blah. As they're doing their final stare down, I, you know, Mama Woodley, if the MMA community knows Mama Woodley, she's a vocal one. She's also a real one. And as she's saying, that's right, baby, that's right. One of Jake Paul's people, who was black, mind you, is talking about, you know, how Jake's going to beat that ass. Now, they are literally four chairs away from each other. They're, they're insane. Like, he's a row up, three chairs over. And she's just like, that ain't happening to my boy, da 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 And she's like, yeah, da, you know, it's like mama's protecting a baby. And he won't shut up. I am listening to this. If anybody's seen the video I put out, I turn around and I'm like, yo, he's still talking. Like, I'm looking like, why is he still talking? That's Woodley's mother. Like, he wasn't really like, he was like, fuck you. And he wasn't saying nothing completely vulgar, but he kept talking. I knew it was on the moment Woodley's mother said, you don't know. I'm a no limit soldier. I said, oh, shit. We're about to shake the table in this motherfucker. Because who says in 2021, I am a no limit soldier? Tyron Woodley's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Someone ad lived it in the background to say, you heard? I was like, oh, Yo. yeah. Yeah. This is, Yo, it got, this is amazing. That, that was the moment. It sucks. I, it, I didn't really get to talk to Tyron all week. And I have a relationship with Tyron, but I just felt weird, like, trying to walk up to him because he was in fight mode. I'd be like, yo, Tyron, San Andreas. I didn't do none of that. Until I was trying to get an interview, and I didn't get the one-on-one. Strangely enough, I got a one-on-one with Jake, but whatever. But as, as soon as I heard it, I saw Tyron. That's when he looked up. Literally, you heard the No Limit Soldier, and he's like, that's my mama. And he looked up, who's talking shit to my mom? And they singled him out, and then shit just got real because Tyron's sister pulls up, and then some dude pulls up with a knife. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's, it's about to go down. Meanwhile, like, Jake is in the back saying, yeah, he talks shit, he's talking shit to your mama. And I'm like, all right. And I'm going to get to this part about Jake in a minute. He's kind of egging on. What you going to do? And I'm like, why is he doing this? Tyron jumps up, little pushing and shoving. Uh, somebody tries to grab Tyron. Wasn't a good idea. Tyron was slung him out, out into the middle of nowhere. And, you know, Cooler Heads eventually prevailed, but now this fight is trending again. This was like the extra boost that this fight needed 
was from the, the first press conference and it happened immediately. And it had to do with Tyron Woodley's mother. From that point, I was like, oh, they're good. Uh, Chris de Blasio from Slow Time, we had breakfast, we talked. I was like, y'all are good. They did it. <laughs> they, but not just because of that. And we could talk about like the whole week. Everything was done right about this fight. Having Ariel Helwani do those face-offs, incredible, right? The, the, I mean, they streamed, you had the press conference, you had the weigh-in, um, we did our trainer roundtables, everything was done right. And it just felt like a big deal. And the strange thing is, on Friday, me and Mark Ramondi from ESPN go to have breakfast. And as we're sitting in this restaurant, this, you know, waitress comes up and she's like, hey, uh, you guys here for the fight? Mark's like, yeah. Um, and she's, he says something to the effect like, yeah, you know, your hometown guy is here. And she's like, hometown guy. We want to see him get knocked out. And I was like, yeah. wait, what? And she was like, he ain't really from Cleveland. He's from someplace an hour outside of Cleveland. And he was, a, he went to the same high school as other people. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like broke. He was, uh, you know, his family was solid and, you know, he was a bully in high school. So nobody in this city really likes Jake Paul and we want to see him get knocked out. And I was like, this all makes a world of sense to me because he, this is like a page out of the Mayweather playbook. Make him hate you. Yet the strange thing about Jake Paul is if it, everybody would see my column, he's like the unlikely hero of combat sports because this man is advocating for fighter pay yep. and is very, very vocal about it. And no, and like, and I asked him, I was like, you know, does it take somebody like you to do something like this? And he was like, well, yeah, because they can't do it on the inside because if they do, they're not going to fight. I can say whatever the fuck I want. He's right. Yeah. So he's it's like hundred percent right. It's, it's the the whole week I was on this strange, like this white privilege culture vulture thing. And on the other side of it, I was looking at a kid uh, called Jake Kid because he's only 24, who is, I don't want to say he's in over his head when it comes to culture, but he's fighting a real one with Tyron Woodley. And all the, you know, the chains, like that whole face-off, Woodley bodied him at that face-off the entire time. He was just called him a culture vulture. He was like, these nuts, like everything Tyron did was incredible. I was just like, I just don't think Tyron's going to win. But I, I've been so on the fence with Jake Paul all week because I was like, I see what he's doing. And I see the blackness in me is like, I don't like the shit that you're doing when it comes to black culture. Like Colin Woodley, a gangster because he's from Ferguson, Missouri. You clearly haven't been around any gangsters. And what white people tend to do when they adopt our cultures, they think they know what a fake gangster is until they meet a real one. And that's when everything changes. And I think there was a moment during that face-off where Woodley was like, I done seen some things you ain't never seen. I'll never call myself a gangster. But look into these eyes. I will fuck you up in real life. And I think Jake saw that and was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> like, this, this ain't fighting Ben Askren or Nate Robinson or and Eason Gibb or talking shit to Dana White. It's a real dude right here. So Playing no games. Yo, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll let you get talk because there's just a lot to unpack from this past week it's a lot no i, I love this segment because i'm here to listen because you were there i wasn't there because i was in a wedding i was back in new york city in a tuxedo um, god damn it in a tuxedo what i had the the vest on the bow tie 
chilling. Yeah, groomsmen gifts. We had the Cubans hand rolled. So I had that with the double makers on the rocks. Look at you. Listen, listen, I'm trying to, you know, trying to get a little older, a little more classy. The night before they wanted to drink dark liquor um, and I missed the bachelor party and shit. So we actually just like randomly chilled. We went back to block where we grew up. Everybody came out. It was like the first time everyone from the block was together in the same place for like a decade. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been longer than a decade, probably like 12 years since we've all been in the same place. So we were there from like 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. the night before the wedding. And we're chilling and they want to drink darkly. They all, all drink Hennessy. I'm like, yo, I don't drink Hennessy. So there's like three bottles of Doucet. Mm. And they're like, oh, well, okay, Chaser bottle. I'm like, yo, we don't got ice. We outside. I'm just drinking Doucet neat. To sipping it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm real. I'm, I'm real old, old money right now. So nah, it's you know, I'm getting there, I'm getting there in life. I might ditch the rocks and go neat in like a year or two. And some things you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to really get the flavors behind that. I tried to get a proper whiskey. Uh neat the other day. I got double proper whiskey. And it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. It wasn't nah, great. Pro- Proper That's like not. something to mix with because it's so vanilla-y. Yeah. Like it, it it overpowers it a lot. So I was yeah. like, yeah, nah, I can't, I can't get that neat again. But no, nah, Maker's Mark is my shit now. Bullet. I'm trying to find like other things as well as I work my way up the ladder. I had a, a what was it? A Glenn. Glenn Livid. Glenn Livid. 15 years. Yes, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was delicious. I got a double of that. It was open bar and they had mad shit. So I was I was super happy during this wedding. It was a Jamaican wedding. So it was dope. DJ was from Jamaica, killing it. Everyone killing on dance floor. The groomsmen did a dance. I had to learn the it's like a Jamaican uh fucking electric slide. I had to learn it in two hours because everybody else knew it. I missed the rehearsals. So it was, yeah, it was exciting. It was fun though. It was fun. We had a, had a blast. I was doing that and I was looking at my phone and then thankfully the wedding was from two, it was from three to eight. So I got home in time. I think I just missed the Tommy Fury fight and I got home, shout out to East coast. Everything coming on late. I got home at nine, watched the entire car. So I didn't get the atmosphere of the fight. I didn't get any of the the real like watching the show, what is show box undercard or wherever they put it this time. I, I like that a lot. Cause you get to see the build this one. By the time I tuned in, the place was packed already. It's not like a normal boxing crowd either. People showed up yeah. early. All right. So let's talk about the atmosphere of the night. And then I'm going to go back to this white privilege shit because it was very dominant this weekend. Um, this is the first time I've been to a fight where from the first fight, which is Charles Conwell. There was only one untelevised undercard fight, which I have no idea why they just didn't put this on something. That place was rocking from the moment the bell rang from the first fight to the end of the night. I have never seen a boxing crowd like this, ever. That Like, the, like I got there. I, I, did, I had lunch. I would try to go to a sneaker spot. It rained on me. I said, fuck that shit. I went home, got dressed. Took my Uber, headed down to Rocket Arena. I pull up. I was like, oh, I'm 30 minutes before the Conwell fight. Cool. 
I'm in my mind because I've covered so much boxing over the years. I'm expecting 16 people in this motherfucker because that's what usually happens when you get to the first fight. No, there were at least 7,000 people in that joint at the first fight. Chanting, whoop that ass. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, this is incredible. Now, they gave us like some vouchers. Me and Casey from MMA Fighting. This is the other thing. Like, there was Damon Martin from MMA Fighting, Casey from MMA Fighting, Esther Lynn was a photographer, Mark Ramonde from ESPN, um, Stephen Muehlhausen worked with me at The Zone, who's now at The Zone while I'm at Sporting News. It was a strange reunion, like all the homies from MMA and boxing. So we were all like, Casey was like, I don't see UFC fights like this. I was like, you're right. Because even UFC fights, even though those first fights have more people than a boxing card, they still aren't like packed. There's still like the floor seats are very empty. This joint was packed. And rock, like the energy was stupid. So after the Conwell fight, me and Casey decided to go get something to eat. As we go upstairs, the first thing I say to Casey is me and him are wearing masks. I'm like, yo, this, are we the only ones who like masks in this motherfucker? Like nobody had a mask on. Nobody <laughs> had a mask on. There was like sprinklings of black people there. They didn't have masks on. All these white, and I keep calling white privileged kids, and if you're white and you're listening to this, I will explain this in a minute. All these white privileged kids that were like, they didn't have masks on. They had their phones taking selfies and all that shit. None of them had, none of them had masks on. Ages 14 to like 25, nobody had a mask on. So I'm like, well, if I get through this without COVID, I'm bulletproof, right? Like that's in my head. I'm like, I got my mask on, got my sanitizer. And I'm like, yo, I'm looking at cases like, yo, we got to fuck out of here and get back to our seats. Now we go back in Tommy Fury's uh, against Anthony Taylor's the first fight. This place is packed, like pack packed. Whereas when Tommy Fury comes out, it's like a crazy ovation. I was like, yo, Tommy Fury is not even a real boxer. He was on like some Love Island shit in the UK and he's got like six pro fights. He's not really that good, but this place was going bananas over him. (laughs) And I was just like, wow, like, yo, this is nuts. This, I've just never seen an atmosphere like this for boxing. This is what boxing needs. That kind of crowd, because then you had like the Daniel Dubois knockout. Oh, and he starts, dude, quick. Everybody that was there, like that had never, they was like, who the fuck is a Dubois? They seen this dude fight and they're like, I want to watch the fight again. If you can get 15% of that crowd to watch another boxing match, you did your job. And that's exactly what this card was. It, it introduced you to new people. Amanda Serrano got a huge ovation. Um, Tommy Fury had a whack fight, but people were, you know, were in on the fight. Conwell, great knockout. The Montana Love, Ivan Baranchik fight? Holy shit. Mm. That was, that was a, a fight. Banger. And Ivan Branchick should never fight again. It's over. It is, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm saying it's over because I think he's going to truly get hurt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the crowd, Montana Love, being from Cleveland, crowd was completely behind him. This is how you put together a boxing card. For all you boxing purists out there that say that Jake Paul isn't a real boxer and this is bad for boxing, y'all need to shut the fuck up. Because if you want boxing to be where it is, where, it's, where you go to these cards and there's like nobody there, and let's be honest, man, Pacquiao and Ugas, that was a whack undercard. And even though the Pacquiao-Ugas fight was pretty good, it, the place wasn't rocking. It didn't have that kind of energy. This joint had energy. You need this in boxing. 
I, I obviously can't do it for every car, but if Jake Paul can bring this audience, a small fraction of this audience, to us, this is what we need. Now, let me explain this white privilege thing. There's one instance where I noticed that this happened. I was like, wow, this is nuts. So where we are seated, if anybody has been to a fight, usually we're sitting ringside. We were not. They took the front row of press and they put us behind the front row of seats at ringside. Now, when you do that behind a bunch of 20-year-olds, they're not sitting down. They're standing up the whole fucking time. Mm. They, so we couldn't see shit. Keith Eidick from Boxing Scene was next to me. Keith Eidick's like an OG. Keith Eidick was grumpy as hell because he couldn't see anything. We had to watch... We had to watch the main event on the Titantron, the big screen, because we couldn't see because nobody would sit down. It was that bad. So as this is happening, this just tells you where we're at. There's a space between where we're sitting and the, the uh, floor seats that you can walk through. There's, there's one other black dude covering, covering the fight. Don't know where he's from. Actually, two. One from the New Yorker, one from I don't know where he's from. There was like long lines because there was you know almost 20,000 people in this joint. Now, he had two waters sitting on his table, this one black dude. This white kid comes up to him, and he's like, hey, man, can I have that water? He looks at him, and he's like, no. Like, I'm thirsty. Like, how are you just going to ask to take my water, right? <laughs> and he's like, I'm so thirsty. And he just stood there. I'm so thirsty. I'm, I'm so thirsty. And Keith, is, Keith Eidick is looking at me. Keith Eidick is a white man. Keith Eidick is looking at me. He's like, do you see this shit? And I'm not really paying attention. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not really. I think I was messing with the Wi-Fi because Rocket Arena decided to let put everybody on the same Wi-Fi. When you put a bunch of 20 year olds all using their cell phone, to upload shit to Instagram at the same time. Wi-Fi crashed all night. So my updates were super sporadic. That was why I think I was wrestling with that. I'm not paying attention. I turn and I look and the kid's like, all right, I'll buy one off you. And like, he's begging this dude, this black dude who already told him, no, he's begging him for a water. And now his homeboys come up, his little white friends. Oh, come on, man. We're so thirsty. And he like looks at him and he's like, what am I supposed to do this shit? So he's like, all right, fine. You can here. You can take, he points at the white. He's like, go ahead. So the white kid uh, goes to give him money. And he's like, nah, just forget it. You can keep that. So he, so he, he takes the water and he stops and he looks at his other water. He's like, can I have that one too? Yo. I said, motherfucker. I was like, I almost <laughs> jumped out of my seat. He goes, can I have that one too? Keith looks at me with this look on his face. Like he was embarrassed for the white kid to share the same skin color as him and be in close proximity <laughs> with me. I turn and look at the black dude. The dude looks at me. We've never met, but it felt like we knew each other for years on the plantation because we looked at each other. We're like, yo, this kid's about to get his ass whooped. And he's like, he shakes his head, right? He has his mask on. He just shakes his head. Mind you, this kid, this white kid is just like, no mask, all this shit. He says, can I have that one too? And he's like, no. So he takes his water. He doesn't say thank you. And he waves him off and walks away. I sat there and I was like, this is the crowd we're dealing with tonight. This, then later on, Mark Ramondi, who's like four seats down from me, he's got a charger. Do you know how many people, these, these kids walked up and was like, hey bro, can I borrow your charger? Oh, come on, man. Let me get your charger. Let me, you're not gonna let me hold that charger? And then you can hear him like, pussy. Like, I was just like, yo, I'm going to jump out of my seat and drag these. None of these kids asked me shit. But I was like, <laughs> I can't believe what I was seeing. Like, it, we asked, you know, Keith would ask them to sit down because we couldn't see the fight. And they were just like, oh, these pussy motherfuckers. And I would hear like the N-word. And I was like, I can't believe this crowd. Oh, I, I will beat a post-teen's ass. I, I, I couldn't see where it was coming from, right? It was like, it was just madness all over the place throughout the night. 
there was a dude like sitting behind us, right? This kid, he had, I call him a kid, he's probably like 22. He, there's a dude like sitting on the floor and he just come yelled at him all night, calling him every gay slur in the book. And I was just like, nobody's going to whoop his ass. Cause I can't reach him. Right. And I'm looking at him and he looks at me and I'm like, yo, chill, sit down. And they don't need to do all that. And he's just doing, he's like tapping his friends. He's like, watch, he ain't going to do nothing. And I'm like, yo, this is the white, most white privileged crowd I've ever seen. Cause ain't nobody going to whoop their ass. They ain't never had an asshole, but you can tell when someone ain't never been punched in the face. It, exactly. And it was that all night. So the little fights that were breaking out, there was just two white privileged kids just throwing down over some white privileged shit. But the way they were acting like they owned the joint. Can I borrow your charger? Let me get that water. I'm not sitting down. Like I, there was just no, like, it's not even like no respect. It was just like, yo, y'all think y'all own this shit. You know, and they all, they all borrowed from hip hop culture. They all had the gold chains and the grills on and thought they was hard. I just heard like dudes like, yo, I'm so motherfucking hard. I'm hard. And I'm like, what? What is this? These are the descendants of Jake Paul. This makes me feel strange. Because as I, like, like I said, I said from the jump, and we haven't even talked about the fight yet. I said from the jump, I'm picking Jake Paul to win, right? Because he can fight. Because in... Technically, when it comes to boxing, he has done this and Tyron has it. But, oh, it pained me to pick Jake Paul. As the fight got closer and closer, I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to pick Tyron. Tyron's from Ferguson, Missouri. Tyron was on the front lines of the protest. Tyron is black as black can be. Tyron was, remember the, the uh, UFC conference? The only answer he gave was Black Lives Matter. I, I, it's so hard for me to root against that guy. Meanwhile, he's calling this dude a culture vulture and people are like, oh, you know, did he have to say that? Yes, he did. He's not wrong. No, Jake Paul, Jake Paul being from Cleveland and being protected and shielded from real Negroes in America, because, yes, there's going to be black kids at your school, but they're outnumbered. Come into a situation where you're outnumbered and see if you're going to wear them gold chains like you do and talk that shit about, oh, you're going to be a gangster. I wish somebody would have folded Jake in half because he needs that learning lesson. He needs to be taught. You can't that little shit in Cleveland and your little circle of white friends that you talk to and y'all all rich and all that shit. Y'all ain't really in the hood like that to be talking crazy to anybody. They'll split your shit. Yeah. Jay Leon love ain't taking you to the hood. Nah, Jay Leon. Cause they there for a check, right? Or they, well, they could be friends. Cause I don't think Jake is a bad person. Even the time that I've spent with Jake, this is my second time that I've spent time with Jake Paul. I don't think he's a bad person. But I think he needs to be checked. And I think Woodley checked him just a little bit. Just a little bit. But I think Jake means well. Yeah. I think he does want to see these fighters get paid. He's naive. It's very. The world is through rose-colored glasses. Like, oh, I wanted to be a child actor. I ended up on Disney Channel. Like, yeah, of course. Why can't everyone do that? Or, oh, I wanted to be a YouTube star. I just started a YouTube. Of course it blew up. Why can't everyone do that? Oh, I wanted to be a boxer. Yeah, and I'm one of the biggest boxers in the world now. Isn't it just that easy? I did this in three years. Everything is rose-colored glass. It's like a, a childlike innocence almost, where he just doesn't understand that there's struggles, there's hard times, there are people who go through a different viewpoint in life and have to go through much more hardship than him so yeah it, it's just being naive there's there's another point to this because i give jake paul credit in this because him and logan did truly make something out of nothing they took vine and just blew that shit up right i have to give them credit for that because it's not like they came from la 
right? They were in fucking just the outskirts of Cleveland and did this shit. I give them credit for that. But the understanding, like, you know, Jake has his uh, boxing bullies program, Puerto Rico. I give him credit for all this shit because he means well. But I think Jake ain't going nowhere near the hood by himself. He's not. He's 24. He's young. He's rich. He's not. He really doesn't understand this side. There's partially the reason why he's able to do this is partially because he's white, right? Like if Tyron Willie keeps saying like, you know, what Tyron was wrong is that he kept saying, I think he's doing it for clout. I don't think Jake is doing it for clout. I think there's a part of Tyron that dislikes that Jake is getting all this attention. When if Tyron were to say the same thing, they would boo him. It's kind of the way it is especially Tyron coming from the UFC, which is like MAGA central. If you say things like this, the crowd is like, ah, you don't have to fight, blah, blah, blah. But in boxing, I think Tyron also realized like, whoa, it's different on this side. Tyron came out to a massive pop. Tyron, the whole lead up to the fight, Tyron really handled himself very well. He was more outspoken than we've ever really seen him with the UFC. He seemed like he had a lot more fun with this. Even after the fight, the best thing he said in the post-fight press conference, he was like, Jake is a funny motherfucker. And he was like, you know how hard it was for me to not laugh when he said he wanted to squeeze my cheeks? <laughs> what a great line. Like, Yo, that is the funniest shit ever. It was so classic because as I'm watching, he was like, because Jake's saying, I was like, I can't believe this dude's saying this shit. He's like, yeah, he's got a big backside. I want to grab them cheeks. And I was like, and Tyron didn't break. At the post-fight press conference, yo, he broke. He was like, I could finally break. He was like, that was the funniest shit. Because who tells a man that before a fight? I just want to squeeze them cheeks. And he laughed. But Tyron realized, like, this world is different than the UFC. And, yeah, you may not like Jake. And we'll get to the fight in a second. You may thought, think you won the fight. You didn't. But there's that kid is doing something in boxing that's in MMA and fighter pay. When I talk about fighter pay, people are like, what about PBC? It's not about PBC. It's about women and M the UFC. That's it. That's the only thing that Jake is truly attacking. He's not going after PBC. He knows the motherfuckers get paid. He knows that Amanda Serrano doesn't get paid, put her on the card. And he knows somebody like Tyron Woodley, even though Tyron doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. You got your biggest payday ever for your first boxing match, despite you being one of the greatest UFC welterweight champions of all time that's crazy. And it was a white kid that did that. You ain't got to thank him. You just got to know where it came from. Yeah. No, I, I agree. So we, we go through the night. Serrano has a dominant win. Wait, we got to talk. Did you see what happened with Serrano? Did I see? Did I see mid fight? When, when the fuck the motherfucking trainer is yelling at the yes. board across the corner, listen, the girl is taking the ass whooping. She's trying her hardest. She's a champion at 122 pounds. She moves up to 126 to fight Serrano, arguably what a top five women's boxer of all time. Absolutely. Like you, you're looking at her to, for my money. She's the best puncher in women's boxing. And this girl is, is standing toe to toe. With her, taking an ass whooping, doesn't get dropped, going to distance, fighting her hard out. At points, her corner could have thrown in the towel because that's a lot of punishment, especially to the body that she was eating. A ton of punishment. This girl's tough as nails. And he is screaming at her. And I understand Spanish. Like, I speak Spanish. Screaming at her. Obscenities across the ring on how she's not a true Mexican champion. It was so gross. Calling her every name in the Spanish dictionary. I'm Puerto Rican. He said a lot of shit. Important, like all Spanish is different. If people are Spanish, you understand. He said a lot of shit that's wildly offensive. 
like yelling at her that I won't even repeat across yelling at the corner. Damn near saying like, if you don't stand in here and get knocked out, what the hell are we paying you for? Sir, that's not her job. Your job is shut the hell up. And then I learned that he got kicked out of the last fight she had. Yes. For doing the same shit. Listen, listen, Jordan is a piece of shit. Okay. He has guided Amanda's uh, career. Now he is married to Amanda's sister, Cindy. And in one of Cindy's fights, the Cindy, when Cindy fought Katie Taylor, Jordan, uh, is it the same Espinosa? I can't remember. Um, got it. I'm drawing a blank. Jordan says, you're fighting the weaker sister. That's your wife, dog. <laughs> Are you serious? He, he, okay. Jordan Maldonado. Jordan, there we go. Jordan Maldonado. Jordan Maldonado has a strange relationship with Amanda because he's, again, he's married to Cindy. Amanda's Twitter handle is Serrano sisters, not Amanda Serrano, Serrano sisters. Yes. Amanda's the better fighter between the two sisters. Jordan manages both their careers, but it's Amanda's career that's taken off. Meanwhile, Cindy, you know, it's just Jordan's husband. I mean, Jordan's wife. He talks crazy. Amanda, does, and this is all stuff that I'm going to tell you out front. There's more stuff behind the scenes that I can't talk about. There's an interview where Amanda says, I don't own a cell phone. You know who owns Amanda's cell phone? Jordan. It's in his pocket. Whenever you see a tweet from the Serrano sisters, it comes from Jordan, not Amanda. That's weird. Now, granted, Amanda's been amazing. Her career has been fantastic. If she fights Katie Taylor, that's a hell of a fight. I don't know who wins. But what the display that happens in the middle of this fight against Mercado, where Jordan is yelling, and what people didn't see is he ran down her uh, as she was heading to the ambulance and still cursed her out. Calling, it says she wasn't a real Mexican and everything that you said you can't repeat. Did Followed her as if she had already lost the fight. Amanda couldn't truly shine in that moment because Jordan Maldonado took over. That should never happen. That no. is gross. That is disgusting. I, w- I felt like I couldn't even write about Amanda because I was so busy with everything else. But that hurt because it's like, yo, women's boxing needs to take a step forward. And as Jordan is doing this, it is completely putting a blemish on everything that Amanda's doing because eventually, because Amanda's been underserviced in the media, this is all going to come to the forefront. I don't know who's going to do it. Could be t- Katie Taylor. Could be another fighter. Could be just the media. Amanda's going to get a big fight. And the big cloud that's going to hang over that fight is Jordan Maldonado. And oh, Eddie Hearn ain't letting that shit slide, by the way. If no. they fight, and her and Katie fight, Eddie Hearn will call that shit out first press conference. Like, yo, you ain't doing that here. But I, what I'm saying is, it casts a dark cloud over Amanda's career when you have somebody yeah. that is... You know, Went to prison. Locked, yeah, he's been locked up. Yeah. He, he does, it's like, he's very possessive. Like those things can hide from now because Amanda's not really in the spotlight, but now she is. Bro, you guys take a step back, but he's not. That's his cash cow and sister-in-law. That, that shit is wild. There's a story, Diego Morella from Ring Magazine wrote a story about this. I highly suggest those of you that are listening to this podcast, read the story about Amanda Serrano to get enlightened about who Jordan Maldonado is. And trust me when I say, there's far more to it than even that story gives you. I hate to say it, but Amanda's going to get her, her career ruined because of him. That yeah. sucks. 
No, definitely. He's a questionable character, to say the least. So that was just, again, he stole the, stole the shine from someone in Amanda who's deserved it for so long. And this should have been her moment. And it wasn't because he's a hog of the spotlight. This whole shit is about him in his Oops. mind. But he doesn't have the talent to physically go out there and do it. So it's, oh, like you said, a lot of shit in the background just makes it seem seedy. But the main event then rolls on. We get the main event coming out. Tommy Fury comes from the back. Somehow they're standing by the steps in Jake Paul's corner watching the whole fight. Like four of them. I was like, oh, this is some shit. This is weird. Um, so front row seat for him. The apron is packed. We have uh, Logan Paul on the apron, a million for the, like, it feels big time. You have the entrances, which came out dope, everything. It felt like a real pay-per-view fight. And at this point, I think we all have to acknowledge that Jake Paul is a real pay-per-view fighter. Yeah, and I want to correct people because I've seen people on my timeline like he's not a real he's not a real pro boxer. Hey guys, uh, Jake Paul fighting Tyron Woodley in his fourth fight is better than most fighters fight in their fourth fight. Ninety percent outside of Clarissa and Loma, I'd say he damn near has everyone else beat for an opponent in the fourth fight. Yeah, you know they're like he doesn't fight real boxers. Do you know like Deontay Wilder fought cab drivers for like his first twenty fights? Yeah, <laughs> I need y'all to stop. Like I'm not saying Jake Paul's a world beater, but he's not like cheating the system you know tyron woodley has mma experience he has fight experience he is he could probably beat a lot of those cab drivers that some of these other fighters canelo his, his opponent his first fight was oh and oh so it's like don't like jake is a professional boxer with literally no amateur experience that's it yeah this that you could call him a fake fighter but no he's fighting i gotta respect the man he's getting in the ring tyron woodley yeah. got in the ring he's a boxer now that's it that's it. And I mean, the guy can take a punch. He's proven he's athletic. He's leaps and bounds better than a lot of these guys. First 10 opponents. Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's, it's, it was a gamble. And then the fight starts and, and we see it immediately. One thing that jumped out to me and I had to tweet it, it was like my only tweet at night. Tyron Woodley had the worst stance in boxing yeah. history. He had like a Conor McGregor kickboxing stance. Yeah. That's not even his UFC stance. Nah, like he went the wrong direction here. So as soon as he did that, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a world of problems for him tonight. Jake looked good. Jake moved around. He knew how to use the ring early on and often used the jab. Tyron, it was paralysis by analysis for the first three rounds. He just didn't seem comfortable. Yeah. Didn't know when to throw. If he did land something good, it was a one shot. Jake just moved away or clinched. And then Jake would get back on the outside, circle around, pepper him with the jab. Tyron didn't know how to close the distance or it was too many feints. He overthought it. There wasn't enough experience for him in the ring. And the first three rounds, in my opinion, went to Jake easily. Easy. Very easy. I said it for, I've said this from day one. Anybody listening to this podcast know I said it. Tyron's not going to be able to get around the jab. I said it from day one because Jake has a really good jab. And Tyron could get around the jab. He didn't know what to do with it. He just kept getting hit with it. And it made him gun shy. Because if you can't figure out how to counter off the jab, and this is where the difference in the fight was, and we'll get to, you're about to talk about the fourth round in a second. But you're just going to give rounds away. Because all Jake is going to do is pop you with the jab. Because it is a very good jab. Now, the thing that Tyron didn't do 
was go balls to the wall at any real point in the fight, which meant he had enough conditioning to get through the fight. I picked Jake by knockout. Didn't happen. But I knew that jab was always going to be a crowd. Uh, shout out to Crooked Eye who gave me a shout out on Twitter by saying my man called it again. I told y'all it was just, it's the jab. Look, people's like, you're underrated tyrant. No, I'm not. I'm talking about a jab. And the man has a good jab, and that's what won him the fight. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Agreed. 100%. Like, it, it showed early, and then it showed late. And we'll get to that right now. Because the fourth round is when we really got to see what Jake Paul is. And, you know, these, these fans and the boxing fans, the boxing purists and all this shit, 90%, even of people who cover the sport, none of us are getting in that boxing ring. Nope. It takes a shitload of fortitude to get in that ring. It takes someone who's a little off to go and say, I'm going to box in front of millions of people and get embarrassed or at least a chance of being embarrassed. And I trust that my training and my skills are where they're at, that I won't be. A lot of people don't have that, that courage inside of them or that belief in themselves, that confidence. Jake Paul has that in droves and he puts in the work to gain more confidence. So we get to the fourth round and Tyron Woodley for the first time in the fight, throws caution to the wind and says, Hey, I can close the distance fairly easily. His jab's not really hurting me. He's not going to knock me out. So let me unload and then catches Jake Paul, sends him into the ropes, which probably should have been a knockdown. Definitely. Referee ropes, that call. Yeah. Ropes held him up. Jake should have got the eight count. Cool. The ref did it. Tyron then has an opportunity to jump on Jake. Jake clinches for a second. Tyron lands another good shot. Like, oh, shit, Jake's in trouble. Jake rolls around the ring, gets out of trouble, finds some distance, licks his glove because he loves it, and weathers the storm for that round. And people are like, oh, this is it. This is trouble. Oh, the Jake Paul, he's done. Lo and behold, Jake Paul can take a punch. We know Jake Paul can take a punch more than we know 80% of the top young prospects right now. That's our question for 80% of them. Can they take a punch? We know that about Jake now. Yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. That should have been called a knockdown. Ref completely blew that call. It's fucking Cleveland. I don't know where they got these officials from. But there should have been a knockdown. Jake took the punch well. Um, the other thing I said about this fight is Tyron doesn't know how to set things up. He doesn't. He doesn't know. He doesn't work off of a jab. Like Jake puts a right hand behind the jab. Tyron was just looking for like one big shot. He had really no clue how to enter on Jake. But what he did figure out is that when Jake had a lapse, because he's not like a tremendous defensive fighter, you know, and he leaves his head over his feet, he's going to get clocked. And Tyron caught him. And you're right. He took it well. He, uh, he didn't get knocked out. He licked his gloves because he was hurt. And he kept the fight going. Um, and I, you got to give credit to Jake for that. You got to give Tyron credit for finding that shot. It's not easy to do. Um, and th this was the moment where you're like, oh, we got to fight. This is an actual fight. This isn't going to be a blowout. Because for three rounds, like, dude, Jay's just going to jab him to death. But everything changed with that overhand right. And, uh, yeah, we got to fight. And then we we learned that, yeah, Jake, you have to work on your cardio. Yeah. I mean, he was tired. So a lot goes behind the punches, the movement. But the game plan was sound. Stay on the outside. Use your length. Don't get into a firefight with Tyron. That's good, but you don't realize how much that takes out of a fighter. Yep. 
and a fighter who's never gone that deep outside of training. So the adrenaline dump alone is hard to manage. There's, you don't walk into the gym with a million people screaming at, or what, 16,000 people yelling and cheering and, or booing. Like, you don't have a mega entrance every time you walk into the gym to spar. So you're going in relatively fresh and then you get tired from there. Walking from the back and the adrenaline level, we don't even fight. And the goosebumps I have before title matches are absurd. You get like queasy sometimes. Like it's that big fight feel has normal people. We're just watching from ringside. The adrenaline levels are pumping. My hands shake. Like I can't stop my hands from shaking because that feeling is electric and it's through everyone. And the fighter feels that times a thousand. So the adrenaline dump of just being in the ring is massive. Oh, and then by the way, you got to fight at your highest level. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, and this is where I talk about Tyron, you know, being uneducated in boxing. You can't learn boxing in like three months. MMA striking and boxing is just two completely different things. Jake was tired and Jake's get jab got super lazy. Like he would throw the body jab and he wouldn't pull his hands back in time. A fighter who had more time or a boxer who has trained more will learn how to counter over the jab. Tyron had no clue. Tyron could have, if they fought again, I don't know how much will change because I also feel like Jake will get better as well. And some of those mistakes won't happen again, but it's just Tyron. He was, he had his back against the wall in this people that thought Tyron won. I was like, I don't know what the hell y'all watching. I don't know. I we'll get to the card. So we have four more rounds. Jake weathers the storm, not only weathers it and survives, but then takes the final four rounds to me. Yeah, I gave, I round. gave Tyron two rounds, the ninth. I gave him the, when those eight rounds, eighth. I gave him the eighth round. And the oh, fourth. excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know why I thought it was so long. So I gave him, I think, like the either the seventh or eighth and the fourth. Yeah. So I had it six to two. That's it. That's how I had it. And people like the knockdown would have changed the fight. He still would have no, lost. He still would have lost. Like so, cool. He got one closer point. There was a split decision in there, which I don't know how the hell that judge saw that. Yeah, I don't either. That's ridiculous. Um, and that's one of those things where it's always dicey fighting in places like Cleveland or Arizona or um, when Bud fights in Nebraska, or if you go over to Australia, like they don't have a, a wealth of high level fights. No. So it's one of those where it's like, yo, you might be setting yourself up for trouble. So people see things differently though. Whatever. We get it. Weathers the storm. Jake carries it through, gets his hand raised. Woodley immediately says, I want to run. I want to run it back. I feel like I want. Oh, I'll get the tattoo if we run it back. Like, sir, you already lost that bet. Yeah. What do you mean we'll get the tattoo if you want? No, this fight was the bet for the tattoo. Jake just entertains him. He's like, yeah, sure. You get the tattoo. That we're... Jake's not fighting him again. There's no reason to. No. Tommy Here's... Fury, who had a, a pretty bad showing, would do four times the numbers of Tyron Woodley. And it's not because of skills, because of fame. Yeah, I mean, look, man, Tyron is a sore loser. I love Tyron, but you lost a fight. You spent the last, it's been a week now, and you're still post. well, it's almost been a week. You're still posting, like, the meme, you know, Jake fell on the ropes, I got robbed, and da-da-da-da. Dog, you got to move on, man. Tyron ain't waiting for you. It's like asking Floyd for a rematch, right? Like, no, you had your chance, you blew it, I'm moving on. And 
could Tyron fight better the second time around? Sure. But your best bet, Tyron, fight on Jake's undercard. Yep. That's what you should do. You're not getting this rematch. Fight um, Logan. How about that? Yeah. And then, you know, Jake retired on social media real quick. And I, I was like, I know what this is. Because <laughs> Jake is looking at him and Nikisa. I got to give a lot of credit to his manager, Nikisa. Nikisa's been on point. They know that right now there is not a clear-cut front runner for his next fight. They know it. Because Tommy's performance was terrible. They know it. Right now to say, yeah, I'm doing that fight next would be dumb. You got to let it marinate. You got Because now people need to come see you, not necessarily your opponent. When Tyron had that moment with Jake in Ben Askren's locker, that's when it was like, or in Tyron's, in uh, Jake's locker when Tyron was in there getting his hands wrapped. Yeah. They made that fight right then and there because it was a moment and it was like, we got to take advantage of this. And Nikisa was like, that's it. That's the one. They didn't have that on this night. So there's no reason to say, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, let's do the rematch. Yeah, I'm going to fight Tommy Fury. Fuck that. Let it marinate. Figure it out. Somebody might call you on a social media, right? So, you know, something might pop off. Like, Honor may say, fuck it, let's get it. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think that'll happen. Dana's not letting anybody near Jake Paul. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because more important than anything else, Jake will pay them way more than Dana will, and they'll all be like, ah, fuck this shit. (laughs) I'm going to go box for a living. So Dana will never let those guys fight Jake. The only person who could fight Jake, and I wish he could find a way out, would be like Nick or Nate Diaz. Oh, that'd be perfect. Like, that's what you have. And those two, one of those two could probably be Jake Paul because they're really good boxers. Yeah, they they box at a high level. And they train with legit boxers. Yeah, like they're, Andre Ward talks about them all the time, yep. about how good they are. But other than that, right now, to call your shot, like Jake retiring, that was a marketing play. People like, oh, he just got in for the money. No, he didn't. He's playing, y'all. He knows exactly what he's doing to bring interest to him. That was like my second biggest post on ringside, too. The retirement on retirement. I can't believe people fell for that shit. I was like, y'all fell for this? Really? Like, even in, at Sporting News, even our Slack group was like, he retired. I was like, no, he didn't. Just, no. just wait. Just wait. I didn't even post the retirement. I was like, I'm going to wait. And I knew. I was like, he's going to unretire. And the next day it happened. So I did like a side-by-side. Like, I'm update, retired boxer. And then the next one, I'm coming out of retirement. And I just did side-by-side. Never did the original. Because the story was in the return. And there's always yeah. a return. So, so he's good. Like he's, I know I talked to BJ Flores. They're going back to training. They're going to take like a week off. I think he said he's going to go back to training September 12th because they know they got work to do. And they're going to start figuring out their next opponent. They do. And Nikisa is just very much like, yeah, we're going to do some scouting. Could it be Tommy Fury? Maybe. But he knows. Announcing that now while that fight is fresh on people's mind, not a good idea. No, you don't announce that until like see if Tyson Fury fight week. Yeah. Or if Tyson Fury wins and he mentioned your name, like that, you build a lot of buzz that way. No rush. There's, there's no rush whatsoever. Go to the Fury fight. Go to Fury Wilder. Sit front row. Like, I'd, I'd like to, the thing that sucks about Tyron and what he's about to realize is like, it doesn't matter who you fight next. You're not making any money. No, no, no. That was not, th- not this kind of money. Like, you take this bag. I know you want another one, but you need to fight on Jake's on the car. You, you need to have your team. Contact Jake's team is like, look, if we can't get the rematch, can we fight in the co-main event? That's it. Yep. Maybe fight Anderson Silva. Maybe fight Tito Ortiz. Maybe fight another MMA fighter who thinks they can box. Former yeah. MMA fighter. Maybe fight Vitor Belfort if he beats up Oscar De La Hoya. That's not happening. I, I know. I'm just saying. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what you have to do if you're Tyron Woolley. Begging for this rematch, because now it looks like you're begging, stop. 
Yeah, not a good look. Yeah, my blackness needs to tell you, Tyrant, to stop begging this white man for a rematch in a fight that you lost. <laughs> Clear as day. Yeah, grab your dignity and say, all right, cool, I'm coming back. But don't say, I, you know, I get the tattoo because you felt super desperate. I didn't like that out of Tyrant. I didn't like him saying, I'll get the tattoo. No shit you're going to get the tattoo. You lost. Yeah, you lost like, the come bet on. already. You, you lost the tattoo portion. Yeah, you got to chill out, man. I, I just don't understand, but, you yeah. know. We'll, we'll see what he chooses. Let's hit our last break. Sorry, UFC fans. Uh, kind of on a crunch on time here. So um, we'll save UFC for a show later on yeah. in the weekend. We'll touch on that. We'll have plenty to recap. And then we'll also give our predictions for the following week. So we'll have a packed UFC show next week, which is really good. Right now, let's hit the break. Because when we come back, we got to talk about AEW. We got to talk about All Out. And preview that pay-per-view. We're not even getting to main roster WWE and NXT and all the changes and shit. So we're going to let that rock into our next show as well. We're going to get in and out with AEW All Out. Don't go anywhere. Be right back after this. We'll get right back to the show in a second. But first, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to teams, player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Dre, we are back to wrap this up, just giving our predictions for this weekend's upcoming all-out wrestling match. But before we do that, we have to say RIP Daphne, kind of like – such a horrible situation. Um, feel for her family. Prayers out to everyone affected, family, colleagues, friends, in and out of the industry. It, it's sad. This is the second woman in professional wrestling we've seen uh, lost from what appears to be um, a suicide and self-harm. We just went through this last year as well. And it's, it's horrible, man. The internet could be an ugly place. Um, other people just struggle with mental illness, illness every day. And Unfortunately, sometimes they struggle alone or inside and just, you know, want to start this segment out with telling everyone, if you need help, if you need anything, reach out to us. Um, we're always here to talk. Always, always, always. You guys are more than listeners to us. We've had listeners um, reach out just, you know, just to talk to us. We're always willing to do that. And in any way, if we can help, we we'd definitely try and lean on those closest to you as well. You're never struggling alone, no matter how it seems and how it feels. There's always people who care for you. Always, always, always. And would be saddened if you weren't here. So it's a loss to the wrestling community. And I'm, I'm sad that we had to start the segment out that way. But we kind of have to acknowledge it and send the best to, to her family and those affected. Yeah, I mean, you said it all, man. I, I don't need to repeat much. I will say uh, to our listeners and those who have, have reached out to us, yeah, obviously we can't respond to everybody, but we try. You know, we try, we, you know, because we're humans, too. We got lives, too, and families. But we really do try. And we really do care about y'all. And if there is something that's alarming to us, we'll do our best, man. Because what y'all don't know is 
that, you know, yeah, we record the show, but you know, we're human too. We, we go through some of the things that y'all have been going through and we understand what it means to need an outlet and to express yourself or the listeners that have reached out and said, your show has gotten me through something. That means a lot. It really does. And don't ever think that when you say that we ain't listening. That's kind of the reason why we do this show is if it can get you through your day and if it can relieve some stress or just give you just something other than life, the life that's in front of you, we're here for it. So hopefully a, a ton of people ask like y'all doing wrestling stereotypes all out. We ain't get asked straight up. I mean, I know I saw some ad free shows. I'm figuring maybe some of them were down there. We didn't get asked. Yeah. So there wasn't a convention this time though. So I guess, no. So it's not like, it's not like anything other than that. It's just, nobody said, Hey, you want to do wrestling stereotypes? I know it was like a lot of things that happened at the last minute, but I can't wait for us to do it again because I still look at, you know, Starcast and I still look at our first show and being able to take pictures because shit, man, I don't give a shit what I do. We're not celebrities and nothing like that. We're not, but who cares about Twitter followers? It's just the fact that we can talk to people who share our views and feel the ways that we do, or even don't and like to disagree and just have something fun to do. We like to connect with y'all. And if that can keep you sane for a little bit, cause it does for me a lot, like that's what we need. So yeah, man, the Daphne thing is just, it's just awful. It's just awful news, man. But everybody's like going through something, especially we're still not out of this pandemic guys. It's like, it's still here. Still fucking here. Yeah, so let's get to the card. Well, actually, we had a pretty good dynamite this week as well. So Ooh, that main event was good. Yeah, they kicked off with a good tag match. They FTR did. versus uh, LAX. Don't match. FTR has a good match. Fuck. <laughs> um, no, I, I like that a lot. You know, we get CM Punk coming out, and, and we had, you know, it, he's a mainstay. He may not wrestle a lot matches actual matches but he seems to be enjoying his role there so far yeah and, and we like, see a go to sleep which is kind of stiff but he get back to it he get back to it. that leg got up real high yeah it did it did i mean you couldn't have told me five years ago that i'd be looking at a wrestling match with sting cm punk and darby allen in the ring together yeah <laughs> true that's crazy like I know, like next week we're going to talk more about like what's going on with NXT because it's clear as day now that everything's changing. Like if you yeah. watch NXT this week, you're like, okay, why is Kyle O'Reilly working this guy? Um, but you get it. And with AEW, it feels like like we're in the midst of a wrestling boon again. There's so much interest in both in like WWE to step their game up and what AEW is doing. It's fun. Like everything feels really fun and and. Dynamite was fun, and I feel like All Out is a very important show to AEW. Very important. No, yeah, I, man, it's we'll go through it now. But when you look at it, like on paper, it's one of those things where it's like there are some names still missing from this, right? Like I you mean, don't get the Malachi Black, you don't get yeah, the Andrade. Well, that that's travel issues that messed that that match up. The Andrade match? Mm-hmm. The Andrade and Pac match was supposed to be at, at this pay-per-view. And oh, okay. tr- tr- Travel blew it, which is kind of fortunate because like you, as we go through this card, there's a lot of shit on this card. ton of shit. So, um, And listen, we'll probably get more debuts. Maybe. Because, well, August 31st, August 31st was the 90 days 
for a lot of wrestlers who were released. And it was 30 days for others. So you, you can get a lot of people who could debut. So, um, but start off 10 man tag team match, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, represent our best friends. Um, Oh, excuse me. The, yeah, those two, Wheeler, Yuta, and Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt not in the match, versus Matt Hardy and crew. So Private Party and Angelico and Jack Evans. I mean... It's going to be fun. It's, it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of spots. Yeah, I mean, you know Orange Cassidy's got to come out with the dub. Yeah, and it's pre-show. So I like it. Like, Matt Hardy probably takes the L. Maybe they start, you know... They, they feud into that September 22nd special yeah. TV one. I guess they have a specialty event all the time. Now. Um, next up, 21-woman Casino Battle Royal. And yeah, this was on the buy-in, but they moved it to the, the pay-per-view version of the card. Um, obviously, I feel like Ruby Soho has to show up. Yes. It's, it's time. Um, because otherwise, if there isn't another big debut and Jade Cargill doesn't win, people are going to ask questions. Because the one thing that's happening with Jade Cargill, she's still green as grass, but she's undefeated. And if you start going through logic and go, well, why is the undefeated woman challenging for the title? It gets kind of dicey. Yeah. So she can't win. She, something's got to happen with her and Nyla Rose. They got to go out together or something. Thunder Rosa gets them out of there because Jade will still be undefeated. But Ruby Soho needs to win this because it's clear as day that Britt Baker needs somebody else after Statlander. Yeah, but then that's bringing someone in right to the top again. But this is a division that needs it, but I, you know. Yeah, that's the problem. You don't have time. Like, you can't, like, if you said, all right, cool, Statlander loses, where do we go from here? If you don't sign Ruby Soho, who's the next logical opponent? There ain't one. You, you can go back to Thunder Rosa. At some point, it feels like you have to, right? Because Thunder Rosa beat her in that tables match, which was excellent. You have to go back to the Thunder Rosa match. But other than that, the well is dry. No, I listen, 100% agree. So Ruby Soho is my pick as well for showing up. I would love, love, love to see the Iconics come out. Mm, yeah. They're not the Iconics anymore. What are they called? The, the illustrious or something? Something like that. It's still two eyes. But uh, I would I would love that for them to come out and cost like a, a Nyla Rose or something. You know, just come out, make their presence felt, and then bounce. Like that'd be a huge pop. And then still Ruby Soho should be the, you know, Mr. Woman and should win this match. Yeah, I hope we, that- we're picking somebody who's not signed to win this match. It tells you that this women's division needs help. Brian Cage did it before. Like, this kind of their gig. Yeah. Like, they love that shit. And then uh, we had Moxley versus Kojima in a singles match. They're going to beat the shit out of each other. But ain't no way Moxley's losing. No. And this is the match that was put on instead, right? Because of the travel issues? Because this wasn't supposed to be on there. Well, there was always going to be a Japan match. I can't remember who Moxley's original opponent was supposed to be. They had teased it a while back. Can't remember. But yeah, they went to Kojima because it was like, well, fuck it. And I don't think anybody's going to complain. As long as Moxley's wrestling and doing things, yeah, he's, he's going to win this match, whatever. Which is crazy because there's a couple like Japanese talents here. Yeah. Like in, in the state, like Suzuki's here right now. Yeah, he's if doing... If it was him versus Minoru, that shit would have been crazy. Yeah, they, there's a run here, but it's also like 
I think when Tony Khan put this card together, I think it, they looked at Moxley and Kojima was like, this is a good match. It's not going to steal the show and we can't have too many show stealers. This match will be fine for where it's at. Yep. Oh, then we have Paul White versus QT Marshall. Jesus Christ. This is my bad. Paul White, break. he got turned on by Billy Gunn and crew. And I, I could not, dog, when I tell you I couldn't, <laughs> I did not care. When it happened, I was like, all right. Like, I, I just watched it today. I just watched Dynamite today, and I was just like, this is so stupid. Why is this happening? So stupid. Ugh. Ugh. And then Which, we have... Big Show should lose, right? He, no, QT Marshall should lose. He should, but I mean, QT Marshall will wrestle Big Show. Paul White will not wrestle after this. So kind of feels like, eh, he could lose. He could lose. I don't know what it means. Like, it's not like QT Marshall needs it, but it makes no sense for Paul White to do anything. This is a, this is a dumb match. How about that? Period. Agree. Then Chris Jericho, MJF. Uh, this um, is- if Jericho loses, he must retire from any competition. Jericho is going to win. And is- after the trials and the labors, damn, I wanted MJF to go out strong on this feud. Yeah, me too. Jericho does not need this win, but that stipulation kind of messes everything up. But there was a part of me that was watching him cut that promo on Dynamite. That was like, does he know that this might be his last match? Yeah, like, does he want to, like, walk away and, like, go to a backstage role? Yeah, like, I know, like, he got emotional towards the end of his promo where I was like, oh, wait, maybe. Maybe. Whoa, maybe he's, maybe he's, and and who else to put over but MJF? It'd be interesting. And Jericho's kind of in that place. Yes, he's over as hell, but he also knows his age. And he also knows that there is a lot of talent back there. They don't need him anymore. Yep. So he could lose, and this could be it. I don't know. Be interesting. Then we have Miro versus Eddie Kingston. Oh, this is going to be – I think this will be a banger. <laughs> I, I think we're going to get a banger. I, out of I just need good ring gear from Eddie. I have low standards now. Give me good ring gear. Well, you're asking for a lot out of Eddie Kingston. But Eddie Kingston is a phenomenal promo. Miro is, like, great. Today on the conference call with Tony Khan – my coworker asked about the TNT being a mid-card title and Tony cut him off. was like, we don't do mid-card titles. That title is like a big, a big deal because only four people have held it and all of them have held it differently. Right. He, and like he explained this with like Miro, like you didn't have a dominant champion like Miro and now you have one. Yeah. So everybody that holds that title, it means something and it launches them somewhere else. He's right. Darby became the star who doesn't need the title anymore. Miro's going to hold on this shit for a while. And Eddie Kingston ain't going to get it off him, but it's going to be a fight. And I think it's going to be a fun as hell fight. But Could yeah, lead Miro. to Miro versus um, John Moxley angle, which would be dope. Could. It could, because I think Miro's going to try to kill him. Me too. <laughs> and I think, like, he'll yell at Moxley while the accolade is on and shit, and, like, Moxley might have to come to the ring and try to save Kingston. You know, God's champion is incredible. Oh, and that feud would be fucking next level. So um, the Bucks versus Lucha Bros steel cage match. Bruh, if this don't get match of the night, <laughs> listen, that the, first of all, the tag match that closed Dynamite was incredible. I keep saying this. Ray Phoenix is on another level. Oh, entirely. he's crazy. Like, I, like, we all love Penta. We love Nick and Matt. But when Ray Phoenix gets in that ring, and especially if you go back to the match with Kenny Omega earlier this year, yo, there is no way that this match should not be match of the night. 
or be in contention for match of the year because right now the match of the year is pretty much Walter and Dragunov. Um, right? Is there yeah. another match that was better than that? No, that's pretty much. I mean, Mania was this year, so Sasha Bianca is probably yeah, yeah. match of the year. Yeah, that that yeah, very most very. Going to be hard to to top that. Yeah, but Walter and Dragunov gave us a banger. But yeah. this tag match in a cage, yeah. After what we saw on Dynamite, it's like, yo, if you do a match like that on Dynamite to close Dynamite to tease us a cage match at um, All Out, it has to be better than what I just saw. And what I just saw was an impressive fucking match. These guys got to kill it. Now, do the Lucha Bros go over? Is it time to put the titles on them? I think so. Kenny's lost a belt. We've seen him. like. I, I think it's time to yeah, just kind of recycle those through. Because what I want to see, I don't know if anybody else is thinking about this. I want to see Lucha Bros win these tag titles, and I want to see a few with LAX. Give it to me. That's it. Listen, I'm not not mad at that, right? Like, you could be worse things than that feud. So, no, yeah, I agree. I want – it just breathes new life into it. And the Young Bucks can be asshole heels and chase again. Exactly. So they don't need the titles. As long as they're linked with Kenny and you know the good bros, they're fine. Yep. So they could lose here. I'm okay then, with it. Then we have Britt Baker versus Statlander. There ain't no way Britt Baker's losing this title. No, no, no. Especially What's odd is like this could be a run-in spot for Ruby Soho, but no, I, I think they do it during the like during the battle royal. But they could use the battle royal for another women's talent. They could bring in and maybe shock the world. And then Ruby Soho comes out here. There's ways to play it. There's ways. But I think right now, I think the play is, and it's very obvious, and maybe they'll sniff this out and change the direction. Jamie Hayter's got to turn on Britt Baker within the next eight months. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? So it's like you're going to have to start playing up that angle soon, but there's just no way, as things are, that Britt Baker's losing this match. No. She's just not. And then CM Punk versus Darby Allen. You know, this is interesting. Because it would be shocking to a lot of people if Punk lost. It wouldn't shock me. Hmm. The reason why I say this is because he's in his hometown. He's over like Rover no matter what happens. There's an angle that you can play here that would be very intriguing to say, y'all ass ain't been here in a while. You've lost a step. You got to figure it out. The young generation has passed you by. The, tr- the problem with that angle that I'm presenting to you, it means that Punk would have to actually wrestle more, right, to work his way back into that. Um, so for, for that reason, I'm saying Punk goes over. And I think, I think we might get a Punk and Sting match at some point because I, I feel like Punk went to Tony Khan. Tony Khan revealed that Punk has been trying to come back for 18 months on this call. I don't know if anybody picked up on it on this call today, but he was like, yeah, we've been talking about for 18 months. Punk has been, you know, warming up to it. And then the Brody Lee thing happened. And the way the AEW handled that is the reason why Punk came back. That was, that was it. He was like, Oh, this is a different kind of locker room. I'm ready for this. Yeah. So because of this, I'm like, a part of me says that Punk went to Tony Khan. I was like, I have to wrestle Sting, right? Like if you're, if you're an OG and you see the super triple OG there, you got to work them. So I feel like Punk has to be Darby to get to Sting. But, man, I'm kind of interested in this whole, like, oh, man, you ain't got it no more angle. And Darby just gets one over on him. I don't know how, 
I'm interested <laughs> in that because punk is always going to be over. And I think, I don't know. I think there's something to the punk chase because none of us really need to see him in a title program right now. And if he, if this, this is a, you know, he's not working that many matches. He can have some wins and losses here. I don't, I don't know who I feel like punk is going to figure out who he wants to work. Obviously it worked Omega at some point, but I kind of want to see him lose. I don't think he will though. I'm, I'm picking punk GTS. Yeah. Chicago. I'm picking punk too, but I think Darby's going to show up. And Darby's, yeah. you know, high energy, big spots. He'll do a lot of stuff where Punk can be comfortable again. He doesn't have to come in and give a five-star match out the gate. He doesn't have to come in and be a technical wizard, right? Like, this is a match with no expectations, really. No, now, if he came out the gate and it was him and Kenny Omega, he might be asked out. Like, you got to yeah. deliver, you know? Yeah, th- this will be fun. I think no matter what, because Darby is small, which means that Punk can kind of toss him around if he wants to. I think we're going to get a really good match out of this. It won't be match of the night. I think, but I think Darby's a maniac. So it'll be a fun match. Yeah. I usually enjoy Darby matches. So I, I agree. And then we have Kenny Omega versus Christian cage main event. Kenny's not losing to him twice. Nah. So best battle machine gives Christian cage what he came out of retirement for. Yep. This, this is a main event spot. Uh, thank you for everything you've done. You're still the TNA champion. Right. You can go back there and you have an amazing legacy and impact or a TNA go to impact, have a good run over there with amazing matches. But yeah, here's your headlining spot. Here's your thank you for your career. Now go out there and have a banger with Kenny Omega bucket list, Canadian bucket list. Do they have buckets in Canada? Canadian hockey list. I don't know whatever they have. Pale, probably Canadian pale list. And you know, this is what you know. Christian Cage and Edge are talking right now about Edge. He just had a banger with Randy Orton. I wish they didn't call that the greatest wrestling match ever because yeah. it just would have been a great match. I mean, Seth just had a banger. Oh, they did. That was a match tonight. Oh, by far. Yeah, they had a banger out there. But I think there's there's this thing where Edge is probably talking to Christian like, have the match of your life that's it yo you got it bro like this this is what we've been talking about on our fucking pod for like eight years go and kill it go and smoke it and i think that i think we're gonna get that and i think kenny will be happy to give him that kind of match i agree i agree i think uh it's gonna be fun i think it's gonna be emotional it's, it's gonna be great this is a good way to close out i didn't like it at first like i thought kenny should have like maybe a bigger opponent or above but no, you know what? This is a uh, kudos to you. This is a right way to do it. This isn't fucking force feeding Goldberg on a crowd every other week. You know, yeah. like this feels organic. So yeah. and Christian can still wrestle. So, yeah. you know, no, I like it. I like the idea there. We'll see how all of this plays out. We appreciate you guys for listening today. We promise you two shows next week. We'll get into everything. We'll recap what we didn't touch on this week. We'll talk about everything happening next week. We'll talk more about the Drake album after it is out and plenty of other stuff to talk about, I'm sure. Big news coming soon as well. Keep teasing it. It's getting closer. So we appreciate you as always. Follow us on social media at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter, at Corner Club for Life on Instagram. Follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hell on all platforms. Shout out to Blue Eye of the Network. Shout out to all of our sponsors. It's been a great week. Feels great to be back. Take care of your state. Take care of yourself. Stay Rona free. Everyone affected by the hurricanes. Um, I feel like on both coasts. 
we feel for you. Stay safe. Keep your family safe. Hopefully everyone pulls through fine. Thinking about all of you as well. Reverse Rat Pack members caught up in this. Justin Ivy, thinking about you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Until next time, we're out. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.